This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we will help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. How are you? As always, can't complain. Let's get stuck straight into our part two of Ask Us Anything for the month of February. We've had a bunch of questions come in, some really good ones that have got us thinking, um, looking up some new concepts and to keep with our theme of trying to help people learn to invest in 20 minutes or less, we've had to split this out. So let's continue part two. I'll start. I've got a question for you coming in hot from Justin. He wants to know about financial advisors. There you go. Just about them in general, or <laughs> <laughs> uh, he obviously listens intently to us, and we say that we're not professionals in any way, and to go and speak to financial advisors. So he wants to know: Do we have any advice in terms of who to go and speak to, where he can find good advisors, that sort of stuff? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's a really good question, and I guess it's we've probably done our listeners a disservice by saying go and get financial advice and then just leaving it at that. So, um, good good question, Justin, and hopefully um, it helps a lot of listeners out there who are looking to get started. So, what, what advice do you need when you're looking for an advisor? I guess the first one is ha- how do you even start finding them? Rather than just jumping on Google and, you know, financial advisors near you, you can go, there are two services that you can use the Financial Planning Association and the Association of Financial Advisors each have a uh, like find an advisor service. So they're, they're probably a really good place to start because um, you at least know that they're part of these associations and they have met uh, some minimum criteria in terms of qualifications and stuff like that. So when you have done the search on either of those platforms and you found someone near you, one of the first things to check is that they or the company that they work for has an Australian financial services license. Um, having that license puts a number of obligations on them to act in your best interest. After that, 
and, and this is something that you might have to just ask them or you can ask to see their financial services guide. It's a particular document that all financial advisors should have and should be able to provide you. But the most important thing to check is how they make their money. What you want is an advisor whose incentives are aligned with you. You want them to make money if you make money. What you don't want is they make money if they sell a particular product or service to you, or if they make money even if you have a shocking year and you don't make a lot of money in the market. So make sure your incentives are aligned. If, they're, if they make a commission on selling you know, in-house products, you know, if, they, if they work for a bank and they get a commission every time they put you in the bank's financial products, that, that means that your incentives aren't, perf- aren't aligned with theirs. That might not be a deal breaker, but you just have to be very aware of how they make money. And the, the other thing is, if they are recommending products that, you know, sort of in-house products, you do need to check and make sure that the fees are in line with the market and that there's not, you know, the, the reason that they're recommending it is because they think it's in your best interest. So, so that, that's probably the, the three big tips, I would say. Use one of these um, search services, Financial Planning Association or Association of Financial Advisors. That's a good starting point. Make sure they have an Australian financial services license. And then number three is uh, look at their financial services guide, a document they can give you and see how they make their money and make sure they only make money when you make money. Nice. Okay. Love it. Yeah. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I honestly, I haven't. You know, we, we started this podcast while we were at uni and I've only just started working, but it's probably something I should do at some point, but I haven't got around to it yet. All right. One for you, Bryce. Uh, now we're getting a lot of interest in the US market and that might be because we are running Australia's largest student trading competition. Uh, yes. through, through stake. So there's probably a lot of people trying to uh, get ready for the competition and learn about American shares. So this question is about the best way to monitor and discover stocks in the US. What are some of your go-tos to uh, find tr- trading ideas and then uh, to monitor them once you put them on your watch list or you've bought them? Great question. The difference between monitoring and discovering, you know, brokerage platforms now are getting better at better at allowing users to do both. They also do help you discover new stocks uh, by the way that they present the stocks um, in their sort of discover screen. So they um, put it in, ter- in terms of thematics and, and uh, indexes and that sort of stuff. So it's a great way to go down rabbit holes. In terms of monitoring and discovering as well, Bloomberg.com is an excellent resource. They, you know, incredible amount of information across not only just equities, but commodities and a whole bunch of different sorts of assets. Um, And you can get up-to-date information on pretty much anything. So that's a, a great place to start. To discover stocks as well, absolutely, Wall Street Journal. I think they've got a paywall on them, so you need to kind of get around that unless if you don't want to pay for it. Um, but you can just do that through Google. I'm, I'm sh- that's how you do it, isn't it, Ren? Come on, mate. We can't encourage people how to break paywalls. <laughs> what Wall, Wall Street is what, a good... <laughs> what Bryce meant to say was the Wall Street Journal is a great publication and... He, 
if you want to subscribe to it, there might be some good content there. <laughs> that is not what I meant to say, but um, <laughs> anyway, another one that I'm really getting to enjoy lately is CNBC, uh, another publication in America worth checking out. Um, yeah, I think those are probably my go-to. Stake, Bloomberg, Wall Street, and CNBC. And also our thought starters on Monday morning <laughs> if you haven't signed up of to course, that, definitely do so. <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon one other that's probably worth putting in there is if you want to track your shares and um, you, you want, one thing you might want to do is set up a Google Sheet and you can uh, use that to pull data from... Um, about particular companies. So uh, if you want to see like how the share price is tracking and um, all of that, and it, that, that might be one way where you can sort of input your own data, you know, what you bought it at, how many you bought, and then you can pull data from uh, wh- whatever information source Google gets their data from, and um, you can have like live share price, stuff like that next to it as well. So that might be one to sort of build yourself to help monitor. Yeah, nice. All right, Ren, we've got one for you. This one, keeping on sort of the theme of tracking, this listener wants to implement two different sorts of investing strategies so he can monitor how they go, or she, and wants to know if you can split a portfolio in two separate portfolios through Comsec in order to track neatly. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, now, I, I accidentally have done this with my Comsec, and... It's because I have a Comsec account with a, you know, particular portfolio number and all that, and then I also, when my wealth was a thing back in the day, I, I had a my wealth account with Commonwealth Bank, and then they merged the two. So now I have two separate Comsec accounts. So sorry, one, one Comsec account, but two portfolios. So I've actually lucked into this, and I don't actually use the second one, but. You know, this question's given me an idea that maybe I should and uh, you maximize the value of having it. In terms of deliberately setting this out rather than accidentally have it happen, I don't think there's functionality to do it. I think if people could set up multiple accounts under the same like client ID and stuff, I think it might get complicated from the bank's perspective uh, and maybe from the ASX's perspective as well. But in saying that, I'm not 100% sure of that. You could potentially ask Comsec customer support and they might be able to help you out. One suggestion, if you can't, if you can't do it through your brokerage platform, you could, um, similar to what we were saying in the last question, you could set up a Google Sheet with the companies that you bought for each uh, and like separated by each strategy uh, with the details on, you know, buy price, how much, when, and then you could pull some live data in as well, so you can see how the portfolios are tracking each company's, uh, you know, profit and loss overall, how each portfolio is going. So, if you can't do it through your brokerage platform, I reckon that's something you could definitely set up and monitor with a Google Sheet or with an Excel document. For me, I think the process of separately writing it out in a separate document and tracking it probably helps me like formalize my thoughts a little bit more and makes me really think about it rather than just passively looking at it on a brokerage summary. Absolutely, yeah. My my answer is exactly that. I'd be doing it through spreadsheets just because you get a bit more into the detail. Yeah. 
But I think it's a I think it's a good idea, and it's um it's good that the that the questioners looking to try a few different strategies. I think in their yeah. question they they said uh, Ray Dalio's all weather portfolio, and then Joel Greenblatt's um uh, portfolio as well. Yeah. So, look, it's uh it's good that, that you're trying these things, and you're probably not going to find two smarter people to emulate in rather than uh, Ray Dalio and Joel Greenblatt. So, well done. Yeah. All right, question for you. What have we got? Um, all right, this one is not about investing in markets, but it's about investing in startups. So there is a big trend at the moment in uh, equity crowdfunding platforms. There's a lot of companies that have sprung up recently and have got regulatory approval. Um so the questioner wants, oh, Georgia, the questioner wants to know uh, what are the pros and cons of these? Uh, are there hidden costs that investors should la- look out for? And what would be the investment model? Like how do, you, how do you invest in these things? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Great question, Georgia. And I love these startups that are helping startups. I think, you know, as as the ASX each year has progressively less and less companies to invest in, um, looking to the private equity market is a, another really good option for investors to diversify and get access to some businesses that are um, in the early stage and might do really well or, or might not. And yeah, there's this big um, increase in crowdfunding, which for anyone who isn't quite sure what that means, essentially there's a business that is looking to raise money and they these crowdfunding businesses allow retail investors, just like you and I, Ren, to invest small amounts in privately into these companies to help them achieve whatever they need to achieve um, with, with that money. So... The good news is, and one of the pros for these, is that usually you can invest with small amounts of money. You, you don't have to go in with hundreds of thousands. For example, Equitize, which is probably the platform that I prefer out of all of them, is a minimum investment of $50. So you can, I, I remember I was actually looking at one that was a gin company over in Western Australia. Uh, they were looking to raise uh, 700000 or thereabouts. And uh, for that one... There was a minimum buy-in. I think it was a thousand or so um, that was stipulated by the company. But you know, there's some really cool little companies that you can invest in. So a pro is that you don't need large amounts of money to invest privately in these companies. I guess a con is that you lose 
liquidity when you invest into these sorts of businesses more so than with stocks because if you want to get your money back you either need to wait for the company go to, in, to go into an IPO or um, to be sold on and then you get your stock paid out you can sell through some of the platforms you can sell your share um, in the company to other people willing to take it on but uh, I think that functionality is somewhat limited um, to just a couple of them so that's something to consider if you think you would need the money quickly after investing then it's probably not the best option to invest in these private companies because you might have to be sitting that money in there for a number of years until the company's sold or it goes public but yeah in terms of hidden costs from what I can see the platforms are pretty straightforward you just sign up choose the companies that you're interested in investing in and then if there is a minimum placement you can you need to just do the minimum placement but in terms of ongoing costs um, from what I could see there weren't too many Um, so I think it's a great uh, opportunity for investors to diversify and there are a few limits on sort of how much you can invest if you are a retail investor just so you don't take too much control of the company I guess but um, certainly go and check them out Um, equity crowdfunding platforms I think they're awesome so I want to, well, I, I don't want to pour cold water on what you're saying, but I sort of have the opposite view. Okay. I actually really worry about how popular venture capital is has become as an uh, investment option and an asset class. And I think, uh, I think there's probably a few reasons to be concerned about the willingness of retail investors to get into venture capital, I think deal flow will go through the big guys first, the, the companies that are crowdfunding their platforms, sorry, that are crowdfunding their rounds. There's probably a reason for that. And potentially it's just the return isn't large enough. But you know, if a, if a big venture capital firm could fund or wanted to fund a seed round, I don't think these guys would then be going and crowdfunding it instead. So, so I, I think I think I'm just a little bit nervous. I think in every iteration of the stock market, there's a sort of hyped asset class. Uh, in the mid 2000s, before 08, it was hedge funds. Every rich and successful person wanted to start their own hedge fund, and then a lot of them collapsed in 2008. I think if you think about what people want to do now, every man and his dog is a venture capitalist, and um, you know, they're looking to invest in startups and that that would concern me a little bit. So don't get me wrong, investing in venture capital, the, the potential returns are very large and there are obviously lots of examples, especially coming out of America where that has been the case. But just make sure you're valuing it like you would any other investment. Um, some of them won't be making revenue yet, so that becomes difficult to value you're going to have to use your best judgment, but don't allocate too much of your money to it because as Bryce said, you the money gets locked up in a lot of times. It's very illiquid, tough to get out, but also a lot of companies fail. Like that, That's a truism, but that means a lot of money invested in venture is lost. And when there's a lot of money chasing maybe not that many good opportunities, uh, the money starts to go to riskier and riskier investment options and worse and worse businesses in this case. So, look, 
don't get me wrong, but there's probably a lot of money to be made in this crowdfunding venture space. But I, I personally am a little concerned uh, about, yeah, just about it, I guess. Yeah, the risks. No, you're completely right, Ren. Like all in- types of investing, these things come with risk and particularly investing in startups, as you said, ones that probably aren't as uh, prominent as, as the ones that the bigger guys are going for, then the, the level of risk is certainly quite high with these sorts of things. So definitely, definitely do a lot of research before um, going into these sorts of things. The platforms make it seem all very sexy and whatnot that you can invest in a, in a liquor company, but you need to certainly do your own research and understand why they need the money. And I reckon if any if any of the um, big crowdfunding companies, if anyone who works for them is listening, uh, come on, let's let's have a discussion about it. Because um, look, I might I'll probably throw some money in it at some point, but it's money that I'm willing to lose. But I reckon that would be a good conversation to have. I've reached out to Equitize, so let's I might follow up on them and try and get them on. I think I, I agree. It'd be good to sit down and chat to someone. All right. Anyway, speaking of chatting to someone, I've got the next question for you. So, no, you just oh, asked no, me that no. question. No. I just I just hijacked your question, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is a quick one for you, Ren. Remembering pre-GFC when companies had a progressive dividend policy, and that means dividend increases every year. Is this still a thing, or was it a f- passing fad? And do you think it's desirable to hold stocks that do do that? So I guess I'm a, on a little bit of a negative trend at the moment, given my last answer and what I'm about to say to this one. I really don't like the concept of a progressive dividend policy. The questioner sort of alluded to it. It was a, uh, it was like an invoke thing for companies to talk about. Uh, and essentially it means that regardless of what's happening for the company, every year they're going to raise their dividend. And obviously you can understand why investors that are chasing uh, dividends would love that. The thing for me though is that most businesses aren't you know straight lines that just just grow incrementally larger every year like profits are uncertain, markets are cyclical that there is so much uncertainty to just guarantee that every year you're going to raise your dividend uh, unless you're like a transurban or you know some infrastructure company that can just, raise prices on the only road in town every year. I just, it, do, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So <laughs> anyway, in saying that, um, some companies still have the policy in place. A lot of them have killed it off. So uh, BHP, the big mining company, killed theirs off in 2015. Rio Tinto killed theirs off in 2016. You're probably not going to see a lot of them these days. But I mean, for me... If a company announced that they were going to do it, it wouldn't make me want to invest in them anymore. It would uh, just, you know, you might be guaranteeing in the short term that you're going to get a raised dividend every year. But at some point in the long term, every business, regardless of how well run they are, will have a tough time. And to have to guarantee that you're going to raise your dividend every year just just seems illogical. Yeah, I, I agree. And... Yeah, it's all it's the question of could they be doing something better with the money that they just guaranteed goes up each year. It's a good good one. Yeah, and I mean like the worst case scenario is they have a bad year and they have to borrow to fund their dividend. Yeah. Which yeah. 
which isn't unheard of, but I just don't understand it. Yeah. So. Okay. Next one for you, and we're getting to the end of it. This has been a, uh, it's been a marathon. <laughs> okay, so question is uh, that there seems to be a price war between uh, online brokerage platforms, and you know they keep reducing the amount that they're charging for commissions to the point where Stake in Australia and Robinhood in America actually don't charge for trade. Um, however, the question is asking about the bigger brokerages that are for you know sophisticated investors and wholesale investors where um, they all seem to charge in the sort of 0.1% range, so like 10 basis points each trade. Um, the, the question is asking why, why, aren't, why isn't there a price war in this sector? Why aren't they competing for high value investors with you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to invest? That's a good question. My thinking is that, and you, you probably have a, a view on this as well, Ren, but it's all sort of, it's like an econ- economies of scale sort of thing where the cost of transacting for someone who's investing $100 is, is the same as someone who's investing 110, 120,000 or, or beyond. And so the, that's why they sort of charge a, a higher fee for smaller amounts. And I guess, yeah, I guess that's probably my, my thinking on it. They, they, they are competing, I guess, for um, high value investors with you know investing over hundreds of thousands of dollars but the the, the money that they get on that um, you know 0.1 percent is still you know quite considerable if you're talking investing millions of dollars so um, yeah that, that's sort of my thinking on it yeah so I reckon one thought on the smaller end of town um, there's definitely a price war but I don't know how sustainable it is I reckon like Robin Hood is losing money I'm pretty sure uh, you know, like IG keeps changing their fee structure. They, I, I, I'm really interested in this price war that's going on and uh, interested in seeing how sustainable it is. In terms of the bigger end of town, though, I think they're obviously competing, but I think they're probably competing on other things. Um, it, might, it might not be a price war, but it would be things like, you know, research, analyst research reports, um, what else, you know, if they're, if they're broking through a major investment bank, what other services do the investment bank offer? I think there's, there's plenty of ways that these guys compete and they would compete ruthlessly, but it just may not show up in the uh, brokerage cost per trade. Yeah, there's, there's, I can't remember the name, I wish I could, but there was one platform that I came across the other day that offered a flat fee of, I think it was $8 or something, regardless of the amount that you're investing up to like the high hundreds of thousands and that's certainly quite a competitive price because if you're investing hundreds of thousands and only have to pay eight bucks then you know your your cost of brokerage is considerably less and i think for them as we know with the smaller end of town it's all about the volume and so that's why it's so competitive at the smaller end because you know they need as much volume coming through as possible um, to actually sort of break even. So, um, yeah, something else to consider. All right, Ren, anything to add or we'll move on? No, let's, uh, let's keep going. Okay, so I've got one for you. All right, Ren, can you please explain covered calls and if there's something an everyday investor can do themselves? Yeah, so uh, this is about trading options. 
this is again something that most listeners probably won't need to worry about, but good to understand. So options are basically, uh, they give you the option to buy or sell something at a future date. That That's that's why they're options, because you have the option to do it. You don't have to do it, but you're buying the, the option to do it. Uh, a really simple example is if you buy the right to uh, buy a share of Facebook in a year at $100, and in a year, Facebook is $300, you can exercise that right through the option and pay $100 for a share that's worth $300, and you've made $200. On the other hand is if Facebook is worth $50 in a year, and you have the option to buy it at $100, you'd be an idiot to exercise that option because you could just buy it for half the price in the open market. And so that option will expire and whatever you paid to have that option, you'll lose. So that that is in a nutshell how options work. You can buy or sell options. The listener specifically asked about covered calls. So the idea of a covered is when you're trading options and you actually own the stock. And the opposite of that is naked options where you don't actually own the stock. So if we use my Facebook example, if I was looking for an option to sell Facebook in a year, it would be a covered um, option. If I owned Facebook, so I, I could cover it, it would be a naked option if I didn't own Facebook. So in a year, if I decided to make that trade, I would have to get, go and get a share of Facebook to then exercise it. Naked options are riskier and they carry the risk of unlimited risk because you know a stock can go infinitely high. So uh, that, that's in a nutshell the distinction between covered and naked. Now the second part of it was calls. So there are, two, there are two types of options. There's put options, which give you the right to sell something into the market in the future, and a call option, which gives you the right to buy something in the future. So the listener asked about covered calls. So covered means you own the stock and uh, call gives you the right to buy something in the future. I reckon we don't want to go too much further down the rabbit hole in terms of options, um, but maybe we'll include a link in the show notes in case you want to understand them more. Yeah, good idea. All right. For most, most people, don't worry about it. But if you are interested in options, you can uh, do some research and... Uh, just don't take too much risk. <laughs> All right, I'll ask you one. There's a listener who has who works at a big mining company and has the option to invest in an employee share plan. And if they hold the shares for three years, they the company will double the amount they invested. So let's say you put five grand into the company's shares through the employee share scheme and you held it for three years. At the end of those three years, the company would match you and put uh, five grand in for you. So, um, what do you reckon? Is it worth? Is it worth doing? In, if you were in their shoes, Bryce, would you do it? Yeah. So I would obviously caveat this with this is probably one that you should seek further advice for, um, and everyone would have their own uh, way of dealing with this. But and without knowing too much about the specifics of the share scheme, but if I was to talk from personal experience with share schemes, it's usually pre-tax. So that means they will take money out of your pay 
prior to uh, taxing it and then use that money to invest at regular intervals throughout over the three years. Now, that in itself is worthwhile doing, in, in my opinion, um, because you're getting a, you know, a 30% discount on the purchase price of the stock purely because you're not having to pay uh, because it's pre-tax money. So um, if, if the 5000 is something that you can um, live without, then absolutely, in my, in my opinion, I would, be, I would be doing it. And then if the company is then going to match what you put in, um, I think that's equally as, as good. Uh, whether or not they allow you then to withdraw the, f- the five as soon as they fund um, or match it. I'm not sure what the rules would be. Um, but another thing to consider is that the company that they work for does pay a pretty nice dividend. And so if you're getting a 30% discount on the stock because it's pre-tax and your company is going to match the 5,000 as well, you're going to have a nice little kitty of 10,000 in a dividend paying stock um, that if you can... If there's no other sort of good option out there that you think in terms of growth, um, then this company uh, will pay you a, a healthy dividend and that's where you can really let Compound do its thing over time. So definitely go and speak to someone, I think, um, in terms of where you might want to put your money otherwise. But I think from a point of view of taking advantage of the pre-tax and also the dividend and your company matching what you've put in, I think it all adds up to a pretty nice option to have yeah so potentially we don't know the specifics but potentially this company is offering you uh zero downside trade Mm. so if if you and i i need to understand it but if this is the case every employee should be doing it so if you put the five grand in and the company say we're going to match the amount of shares that you bought then there's downside but if you put the five grand in and they say, in three years, we'll match the amount of money that you put in, then if, the, if you lose 99% of your investment and the company goes to one cent a share, and at the end of the three years, the company says, we're going to match the money that you put in at the start, then you just get your five grand back. So, like, obviously, we don't know the specifics, but... Potentially, there's a very limited downside and a lot of upside. So, mm, mm. I mean, I would... Seems like a no-brainer. Sp- speaking personally, without knowing the details, it's definitely something I would be looking to do. Mm. But, um, yeah, as you said, no, we're not financial advice advisors. We can only speak personally. And obviously, we don't have the deal book in front of us, so we don't know all the specifics. But... Uh, yeah, look into it. Okay, so let's see what else we've got for you. He's read, the listener has read the uh, J.L. Collins book, The Simple Path to Wealth, which he recommends to us. So we should put that on our reading list. Um, and they recommend putting a majority of money into Vanguard's VTSAX. And he wants to know if there is anything similar to that in Australia or that Australians can invest in. And uh, are they the same thing or is there anything to invest in that might be a little bit better than what the book recommends? So, very simply, VTSAX, that is Vanguard's total US stock market uh, mutual fund. So, as an Australian, I think it's hard to invest in mutual funds, but you can invest in the exactly the same product 
through the US market, and that uh, has the ticker VTI. So VTSAX is a mutual fund, VTI is an ETF, but they both track the same index. So you could get exposure to what the book's talking about uh, through investing in VTI. Now, because it's listed in America, it's in US dollars, and you're exposed to movements in the US dollar currency against the Aussie dollar. So if you wanted to invest in the Australian version of it, um, it's still the same total US stock market, but it's uh, listed on the ASX and it's listed in Australian dollars. The ticker is VTS. So um, they all track the same index. Uh, it's just, you know, one's a mutual fund, one's listed in the US in US dollars, one's listed in the Australia, in, on the ASX in Australian dollars. One that I've come across recently, Ren, is the Russell 3000 as well. It's listed in the, in the US, so you'd need to go through someone like Stake or perhaps international brokers, Comsec or one of the banks. But the Russell 3000 is, is similar in that it tracks the entire US stock market as well. Worth having a look at. They also do the Russell 2000, a little bit off topic, but I thought that was interesting. It's, a, it's an index that tracks the, the bottom 2000 companies in terms of market cap, I'm pretty sure. And it's been performing pretty well of late. And then there's also one, Ren, that we speak about and that has come up in the uh, Millennial Money Book, which is the MSCI World Index. So it's taking it a, another step further and allowing you to invest into an index that tracks, I guess, the entire world. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's heaps of broad indexes out there. Yeah. You literally can bet on just the world getting more productive. Yeah. Probably not a bad bet to make. Anyway, well, that's uh, that's a topic for another day because we are yammering on here. <laughs> I think we've got one last question. Do you, want to, do you want to ask it? Yes. So this question comes specifically for you, Ren. And this listener wants to know about uranium and what are our thoughts on uranium, um, there's been some stuff on Twitter regarding it being potentially the next big bull market, likening it to crypto and those sorts of things, um, massive returns. And he's attached a few articles for us to read and he wants to know what, what are your thoughts on, on the ura uranium market? So, to start with... Um, <laughs> Here we go. The, the, the fact that people are comparing it to crypto is a red flag in and of itself because essentially they're yep. saying uh, it's the next massive bubble. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a, not a fan of the analogy. But in, in terms of asking about uranium more generally, so uranium is a commodity like iron ore is, like coal is, like oil is, and you can trade uranium. The, the, other, the only thing is that Similar to every commodity, but more so with uranium, it is uh, subject to such regulatory pressures uh, in every stage from exploration and mining to the um, buying and selling of it to the refining and use of it, uh, you know, what countries can do it, who can do it, how it can be done, what needs to be inspected, blah, blah, blah. Um, it just that there is a, a regulatory risk where if you're investing in the sector that probably doesn't exist in the same way if you're investing in iron ore, say. So uh, that's always something to keep in mind. 
regulatory risk aside, uh, I think there's definitely merit in uranium and nuclear power. I think it's used over the world and it's very safe on the most part. The only thing is when something goes wrong, it can really go wrong. You know, there was the example in Russia and an example in Japan that everyone can think of. Um, but on the whole, it is quite safe. It's clean and, and um, there's obviously a question about what, what happens with the waste. No one can answer that uh, well at this point. So, look, that's a long way of saying I, I don't, I don't, I haven't read these articles that say it's going to be the next crypto, potentially, but I think what would need to line up for it to happen is a pretty broad acceptance of it as a fuel and then governments to line up and support it from a regulatory standpoint to allow it to sort of be used more and traded more and more countries to have access to it and to have the technology to refine it and um, all of that. So I think there's probably some things that would have to fall into place to see a real bull market in it, you know, a crypto style bull market in it. But in saying that, who knows, we wouldn't have guessed cryptocurrency a few years ago. So no, potentially, but, but sorry, I think if you want to invest in it, think of it as, you know, think of the supply chain of uranium, similar to you think of the supply chain of any other commodity, think about where people make money um, and how that money is made and, what would be a good long-term investment? Um, if you want to speculate on the price, we're probably not the podcast for that because I couldn't really give you a lot of advice on that. Um, but yeah, I think if you're thinking about investing in it, your investment research and thesis and valuation shouldn't really deviate much from investigating any other commodity business. Agreed. All right, Ren. Well, that brings us to the end of Ask Us Anything for t- February 2019. A massive one. If we double the amount of questions that we get in March, then we're going to be in a bit of trouble. So <laughs> you and I will have to come up with a way to vet these questions. We'll do it at the best maybe to answer some of them online as they come in and then save, save the others uh, for the show that we think would probably benefit everyone. Um, so you and I will discuss that off air. But uh, all great questions, love them coming in and thanks everyone for sending them in. Now, what I do want to say, Ren, is that as of next week, we've got one more episode in our normal schedule to come next Thursday and then we will be kicking off Australia's next top trader on March the 11th, Monday. And the way that we're going to be doing that is releasing a whole bunch of content for everyone. And that's going to be through video and through podcast. And we will be releasing a podcast each day for the first uh, sort of 15 days of the competition um, or thereabouts. And uh, just letting you know, because you will probably see your feed chock-a-block with Equitymate stuff. Now, um, we'll be doing some structured sort of lessons, I guess, um, during that time, as well as every Monday will be a, a competition wrap as well as what's hot and what's not, things to look out for during the week. Um, and we'll be checking in with the CEO from Stake, Matt, um, to help us with that. So just a forewarning that that is what is to come over the next sort of three weeks and the competition itself is going to be running for six. So if you haven't heard about the competition already, um, head to nexttoptrader.com.au and uh, join up if you want to 
play along. Otherwise, um, yeah. Anything to add, Ren? No, I think that's it. I'm pretty excited to get started. Get, yeah, get it's going to be people, awesome. Get some people on a plane to America. <laughs> yeah, we should add if... Well, we've got ads on the start of each episode at the moment, but yeah, we are sending the winner to, to New York, so it's going to be epic. Um, I can't wait to see how everyone trades. Um, Ren and I will be keeping track of a few people as, as they trade and, and seeing what their lessons and learnings have been, so it's going to be awesome for everyone to to learn along the way. So. I think I think we'll, we'll also trade. We can't win, but we may as well uh, jump in and give back. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, mate. We will talk next week. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.